Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. A few weeks ago, uh, I was preparing my Wednesday night message. Like I mentioned, I'm the youth pastor, and so Wednesday nights we have our youth group. And uh, we've been going through the book of Job. And it's been kind of an, if any of you who've read Job, you know that it's a very deep book. And uh, we're in a very uh, interesting part of the book. And uh, I had everything ready to go Wednesday night. Uh, and I walk in to the fellowship hall, which is where we hold youth. And uh, we had a full five youth, I think, out of the 10 or 15 who usually show up. We, we had a very small group that night. And I was like, well, I think I'm going to wait until next week to actually do Job. And maybe we'll do something different tonight. And on the fly, I decided to do a uh, stump the pastor open-ended question night. You can only imagine how that went. (laughs) But I got asked some super amazing questions. I want to share them with you tonight, or this morning. I got asked questions like, if God is in control of everything, why doesn't he just step in and stop evil? Good question. How about this one? If God created everything, does that mean he also created Satan? How about this one? Pastor Trent, what makes a good person good and a bad person bad? That's a great question. But here was probably my favorite one asked by one of our younger students. He said, Pastor Trent, do you think God loves the Kansas City Chiefs and that's why they win so much? (laughs) Brother, that is a great question and I have no idea cannot answer that one. (laughs) So many awesome questions from these teens who are really trying to work these things out in their minds. I tell you what, our youth, guys, if you've not talked to our youth yet, Go get to know them. Actually, don't, because they're shaking their heads like, don't come to us. We're introverted and don't like that. (laughs) But they're so amazing right now because they're going so in-depth, and they're becoming so strong in their faith. And there's things that we're working through in our youth group, these puzzling questions that fizzle up in our minds, the things that God chooses to do, not to do. They're just, sometimes they're confusing, aren't they? And I'm sure for you guys, right, who have been walking with the Lord for some time, or maybe you haven't, I don't know, I don't know your story. You still ponder these things, right? These things don't just exit as you get older, right? You sometimes ponder even deeper things. Of course, when I think about when I was a youth, I thought about really goofy things when I first came to faith, I'll be honest. Like, what did Jesus dream about when he slept? Or, man, Jesus must have really loved those disciples to wash their nasty, stinky feet. You know, things like that. Those are the things running through my mind. But as time progressed, I started thinking about deeper things. Things like how could the God of the universe, the one who sets every star in its place, the one who sets time into motion, the one who shaped the mountains and stirred the seas, the one who was responsible for the sun to rise in the east and set in the west, the one who can create things just by the sound of his mighty thunderous voice, how could this same God know me? Not only this, but even deeper than that. How could this God who is so incredibly set apart in holiness and justice ever look at me, broken in my sin and shame and filth, and say, I love you. Not only do I love you, Trent, but I'm going to prove my love to you in the most groundbreaking, historically shaken way by sending myself to this world to die. So that you may have life. How could that be? Oh, what a love. How could this love be for me? 
I'm such a wretched man. See, when I think about this concept of love, it's usually hard for many of us to grasp. Because what we see as love and what God sees as love are sometimes two completely different things, aren't they? How we love and how God loves are very different. Our love usually has some kind of limits, parameters. We put up boundaries with our love and how we love the others. Even people who we say we love dearly, like our spouse, our kids, we say, oh, I love you so much. I'll do anything for you, and then we fail them. But yet we see that that is not the same with the love of God for his children. Now, I want to interject here with something that's maybe a little bit on the silly side, but I have to do it because I made a promise with our youth group. I told the youth, I said, hey, if you memorize Romans 8 by this Sunday, I'll incorporate one of your favorite movies into my sermon. I got to. They love the movie Ice Age, if you've ever seen it. Ice Age came out in 2002. It's a cartoon. The character, Sid the Sloth. You guys know what I'm talking about? At the very beginning of the movie, all of his friends and family left him. And he was left all by his lonesome self. And he just, they left without me. They do this all the time. I'm not going to do the voice because they want me to do the voice. I'm not going to do that. But we think about that because that's how we are. We abandon. We leave. We forsake. That is not with our God. I love what Dane Ortland, this author who writes this book called Gentle and Lowly. Maybe some of you have read it, have read it. It says, Christ is not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves till the end. Out of all the questions that boggle my mind about my Lord is how how could Jesus, in all of his perfection, look at me and my sin and say, I love you. I'm going to show you I love for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm so unworthy and wretched. And more than that, I have nothing to offer to such a king. As I ponder these things, I rejoice in the fact that my salvation doesn't belong to me and what I can do, but it belongs to Christ and Christ alone. And when I think about my salvation and how much I sin continually, though I love my Lord and I want to serve him well, I still fall short of the glory of God. And maybe you have asked this question before, but this is my big question that I ask. Based on my actions, do I really love Jesus the way he loves me? And even deeper than that, am I really saved because I sin? I don't know how many of you in this room today who have been saved for some time have ever pondered this, but I know I pondered it often, especially early on in my faith when I made so many mistakes, is how am I saved? I know I'm saved. I, I, I see in the scriptures I need to just believe on his name. Who else who, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? For justified by faith, we know these things, but yet when I recognize my sin and I realize my deep darkness, it makes me wonder all the time. Maybe you've wondered that same question. I think about what Paul writes in Romans 7, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Though I love my Lord, I feel like I fall short so many times, and the things that I wish I did better, I feel like I fall short time and time again. It's times like these when evil makes us really doubt what Christ has already done. 
makes me so sad that so often I see Christians doubt their salvation and continually rededicate themselves time and time again. And I don't think that's the plan that God has for his children. Again, I want you to hear this, and then we'll jump into the text today, because Paul has something amazing to tell us in Romans 8 about our salvation. And what I have to constantly remind myself and hear this church is that my salvation does not rest in me, but it rests in Christ. We are rooted in his word, and his promise shows us this. If it was up to Trent Crawford to be saved, I wouldn't be doing too hot right now. But it belongs to Christ, and that's where we see in Romans 8 our confidence in our salvation. I pray today that you could hear this amazing truth. Are you there? Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. This is what Paul says. We're going to read it in its entirety. I pray that it speaks to you there. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Church, can I get an amen? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us for the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! Come on. That'll preach in itself, man. Woo! I have nothing else to say, but I'm going to try. <laughs> well, we see in this amazing passage that Paul writes, probably one of my favorite passages in all the scripture next to the Ephesians 2 passage we read earlier. We've seen three glorious truths or reminders about our relationship with God through Christ Jesus. More importantly, about our salvation through Christ Jesus. And I want to break these down into three parts here. Number one, we see that God calls us to himself. Number two, we see that God intercedes for us. And three, we see God crowns us with confidence. We're going to see these truths today. And I hope that through these passages, whether you've been walking with the Lord for some time or you're a complete stranger to him, there will be no denying how much God loves and cares for your soul. Let's look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, starting there. But the glorious truth, number one, that God first calls us to himself. Look with me, verse 28. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to 
for his purpose. The first thing to recognize in this passage is what Paul has actually been alluding to the first seven and a half chapters. And we had time. Man, I wish we could run through the whole book of Romans. It's so amazing. It's an absolute treasure trove of theology. To call, basically, to sum it up, Paul covers the fact that we are indeed dead in our sin, completely deprived and in need of a Savior. It's the sin that we have, right? We see all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, right? Paul even points it back towards Genesis, that Adam, one of the first, the very first man, he sinned, him and Eve sinned, and that sin has been passed through generations to us. We are born sinners, right? Remember that Ephesians 2 passage, we were by nature children of wrath, like the scripture says. We understand that we have sinned, we need a savior in which our God most graciously provides. Earlier in chapter 8, Paul writes to the believers in Rome and how we are no longer slaves to our fears. And that now the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. It brings us to faith. And that's where we get this first glorious truth that those who love God, all things work out for good. Now think about this statement for a second that Paul is writing. He says all things work out for good. What a confident statement that we can rejoice in as believers. All things work out for good. See, understand this in this dark and lost and sin-filled world, we can rest assured that the situations that we face, these trials that we face on a daily basis, they have a purpose. God indeed grows us through both our triumphs and our trials, our good times and bad, the mountaintops and the valleys. But understand this, it's in the valley times that we realize and recognize our sin, isn't it? That's the time where we realize and we come to faith as we understand that Christ had to die for sinners. Well, if we have no sin, then we won't need a Savior. But the problem is we do sin, so we do need a Savior, and that's why we need Christ. So God calls us to himself. That's a major theological truth that you cannot sway against. Some might say, well, I don't think I'm that bad. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. You know what the Bible says? It says we call God to be a liar. In 1 John, that's what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we make God a liar. That cannot be. To recognize that these things, these trials we go through, that makes us realize how much we need our Savior. And God does such a great and wondrous work by sending himself so that we may believe in him. And lose the shackles of chains of the shackles and chains of our sin and run towards the Father. What an amazing truth. It says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified also he glorified. Now, this is a big, now, I had some people ask me before, Trent, you're talking about predestination today? You don't, don't you want to wait until the pastor gets back to do that? <laughs> but no, it's a great, amazing truth because it shows the sovereignty of God over his people. Did you know God has a plan for your life? If you are in Christ Jesus today, he knew that you were going to come to faith before you were even born. And not only this, but you are justified when you come to faith. You know what that means? 
church? You can't be shaken. If God has truly called you to himself, there's nothing that could shake you from that. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but see this theological goldmine. See, God knew you before you were created. That's an amazing thought, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. He knew that you would become a Christian if you were a Christian today. There's nothing that surprises our God. And see that not only those who he predestined, he called. This whole line, this called and justified and then glorified, this is what is called by most theological uh, scholars as, uh, I had it in here, the gold chain, the chain, the golden chain, sorry, my, my bad. The golden chain, and it paints a picture, a timeline, of you will, if you will, of your salvation. Hear this. Number one, we see that God knew you before you existed. What an amazing thought. Number two, he calls you to himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand that when he calls you, that's by the power of the Spirit alone. You can't do that on your own. Understand that. He calls you to himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then by faith, and faith alone, you accepted him, you believed in him, you made him Lord over your life. And then you were justified. Whoo! That is an amazing thought. I'm justified. I have nothing to bring to God, but yet he justifies me through his son, Jesus. In the due time through the process, what is known as sanctification or the growing throughout your life, you will one day be glorified with him in heaven. What a promise. And to think that this isn't a process that you can mess up. Because if you truly belong to him, what this passage is saying is you are securely his. Again, this salvation that you have is nothing that you did. By grace you have been saved through faith. There's nothing that you could do to mess this up. After all, if God never changes his mind, what makes you think that he changed his mind about you? I love what a pastor said one time. When your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's done so with pen, not pencil. What a confidence and a glorious truth this is for us as believers. Paul writes that we are called to God. God calls us to himself. That continues on in the glorious truth, number two, that God intercedes for us. So not only does he call you to himself, he justifies you at the moment of faith. But now that you are in Christ Jesus, he intercedes for you. We see this, Romans 8, 31. Read with this with me, if you will. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's a story that was told during a crisis during the Civil War. A timid civilian sought out President Abraham Lincoln and said, Oh, Mr. President, I am most anxious that the Lord should be on our side. I hope he is on our side. To which Lincoln replied, that gives me no anxiety at all. The thing I worry about is being on the Lord's side. See, President Lincoln was correct in his application for such a moment. However, for us as believers, it is assured that we have no need for such a fear. It's a reality that our God really is on our side when we have Christ Jesus. As the Apostle Paul continues in his claims, he reminds the reader this glorious truth that not only is your God for you, but that because he is for you, nothing else in creation could ever come up against you. You were indeed protected and advocated for. 
David wrote about this quite a bit in the Psalms. In Psalm 27, 1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or in Psalm 18, verse 2, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What an amazing promise that is, that our God is our rock, our fortress, our light, our salvation, our deliverer. Who will we fear? Paul continues in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Again, these passages teach us a glorious truth about our God and our Savior. That he is not some weak and distant God who doesn't care about his creation, but he is a mighty and powerful God who indeed intercedes for us. Picture this, if you will. A courtroom. God sitting as the judge. And we are on trial for our sin, guilty as charged. We have no evidence to show that we are not guilty other than just, oh, please have mercy on me, my God. You know, what's amazing is that God has every ounce to swing that gavel and say guilty, cast away, place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But yet, something amazing happens. He gives us a pretty amazing advocate in our Lord Jesus Christ, who stands up there and intercedes for us. And you know what's amazing? When we have Christ as our attorney, we're found not guilty. We're not guilty. That doesn't make any sense, because it doesn't. It doesn't, does it? We are guilty as charged in our sin, but yet God says, not guilty. Not because of what we have done, but what Christ has done on the cross. When we trust in Christ Jesus, when he make him his, our advocate, we are found not guilty. What an amazing truth that is. I love what our Kent Hughes says about this passage. He says, if accusations are brought against us, we need not to fear. For the charges are silenced by the upraised, pierced hands of our intercessor. If we are be t- to be condemned, it will have to be over Christ's dead and now resurrected body, which is now the basis of our salvation. How is that for confidence? We truly have an amazing advocate. Again, I remind you today, this is amazing gift from God. It's not something that we can earn. We cannot earn God's favor. It's only through Christ alone and what he did when Christ died and we accepted him God no longer sees our sin he sees Christ's paid work on the cross that sin that he carried so thou- so many thousands of years ago that's why we get passages just like chapter 2 because we see or Philippians chapter 2 because God through Christ Jesus did something amazing when Christ paid that price he said therefore God is highly exalted on him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Only Christ could do such an amazing work. It's, no, it's not found in any other name on this earth. No other advocate could fight for us in such a way before a holy God. It's only Christ. Again, even if Jesus is your Lord today, let us not forget this confidence we have came at a price. We do not deserve one ounce of this amazing liberty. This is a glorious gift. It has been given by God and that must make us humble ourselves before our master. So first we see through this passage that God calls us to himself. He justifies us by his son, Jesus. Second, we see that Christ intercedes for us in the Father. And finally, we see the most remarkable truth, one that has the most weight in this passage, I find. We see that number three, God crowns us with the confidence that these promises are indeed secure and no thing on earth can come against it. Look with me in Romans 8.35. This is my favorite passage probably in all scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us for the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In an absolute mic drop of a statement, Paul finishes with one of the most incredibly moving passages in all of Scripture. This claim that we are more than conquerors should give us the utmost confidence despite whatever our circumstances may be. To understand that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus should not be something to be taken lightly. Again, this is a gift from God, not anything that we can do so that we may not earn it. All the boast goes to Christ. There's a famous story about an archbishop in Constantinople by the name of John Chrysotodum. Chrysotodum. I'm going to really butcher his name today, so I'm just going to call him John. Okay, we're going to go by John here. He was the archbishop of Constantinople many uh, hundreds, not thousands of years ago. He was facing persecution during the early days of the church, the hands of Exodia and emperor Arcadius in the Byzantine Empire in the 5th century. There's this amazing story that he went before him. And Exodia threatened John with banishment, to which he replied this, You cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will kill you, the emperor said. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God. Well, I'll take away your treasure, says Exodia. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there also. In which Rizodia responded, but I will drive you away from your friends. You will have no one left. No, you can't, said John, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Powerful words, I would say. This remarkable testimony is exactly what we as believers have to hold on to. That despite whatever comes up against us, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We have the final victory. 
There's nothing, absolutely nothing, church, in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the bond that we have between us and Christ Jesus our Lord. Especially when it comes to our salvation. I go back to the question that I pondered earlier, and I think we have an answer, a verdict, if you will. If you're truly in Christ Jesus, if you've truly asked him to enter your life, make him Lord over your life, ask him to completely destroy the sins which he already did on the cross, that's never going to be taken away from you. Can you lose your salvation, Trent? I say no. Now, here's the kicker, if I can put this out there, because I know some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, Trent, you know, you think about those guys who early on in their life, they give their life to Jesus, and then as time goes on, you know, they don't really live like it, right? I would be confident in saying that I don't think they were truly saved to begin with. Because you know what happens when you accept Christ in your life? There's a transformation that happens, isn't there? If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, as Galatians says, you have the fruit of the Spirit, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, this self-control against these things. There is no law. If you have those things, that is an amazing marker to show that you are in Christ Jesus. Because what are the opposite of those things? Love and hate, joy and unhappiness. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things in your life that aren't going to look the greatest, right? That's that sin. That's that flesh that you have on you. You're still going to have sin, but there will be a change in your life, and others will see it. They will give glory to your Father in heaven, as the scriptures say. It'll be evident in your life. There's no way around it. I love what Paul writes to the church of Corinth. For you're a new creation in Christ, right? The old is gone. The new has come. There will be a transformation in your life. And let me tell you, when that transformation happens, church, others will see it. And when that transformation happens, understand, if you feel convicted of your sin, that is a good thing. When you feel guilty and dirty and feel full of shame and regret and all these things, but you say God is greater, you know you're saved. I say. Because people who aren't saved don't feel those things. They feel no regret for their sin. They feel no remorse for these things. Understand these things, church. When the Holy Spirit enters you, you become changed from the inside out. When you see the beauty of having a relationship with God, your creator and heavenly father, how could you not want to follow him even closer? Philippians 1, 6, Paul also writes this. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. We have confidence that only comes from God, that our salvation can never be taken from us, despite what happens in the world. We have a heavenly home, not an earthly one. So, concluding thoughts here. I finish this statement with the same one I made with be- and as I began with. Understand today, if you are questioning it whatsoever, that I can give you full assurance that the God of the universe loves you so deeply, so vastly. This special love, as the Greek text would spell it out, this love that we read about in Romans 8, is known as agape love. Agape. It's a word that I think about a lot. It's as silly as it may look on the screen. It's an amazing promise. It's the love that God has for his children. It's been set apart from all other kinds of love. 
unique. We cannot say that we love God more than he loves us. It's impossible. Just as 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. This amazing love that God brings to us through his son, Jesus Christ, this is the way that we are able to love others, the phileo love. Yes, don't get it twisted. God is a God of wrath and judgment. He won't let sin go unpunished. He's still a judge. Yes, his holiness does set him apart from all other things in creation. And we, without Christ, cannot come before the Father. But let's not forget this, that God is not some distant being who wants nothing to do with his creation, but rather he's a comparing, he's a caring, compassionate God who indeed proved his love for the world by sending himself to live like us, but yet to live perfectly, unlike us. To die a painful, agonizing death on a cross 2,000 years ago so that we may become into God's presence and have the ability to call him Father. You know, this is something that I thought about as I was coming up here to preach. And I know for some in this room, maybe your earthly father hasn't been the greatest or wasn't the greatest. Maybe he wasn't there for you. Maybe he was abusive verbally or physically. Maybe he wasn't the kindest or most present in your life. But can I give you some good news today? When you call Christ Jesus Lord, God doesn't just be God to you anymore. He becomes Father, your heavenly Father. For all these attributes that I gave to bad earthly fathers, switch that for good for your heavenly Father. Understand that this heavenly Father is perfect in all of his ways. He loves you so deeply, right? He sh I've said it a hundred times over the sermon that he showed his love to us by sending Christ Jesus onto a cross. He is always with you. He never leaves or abandons you in your time of need, and you can always come to him with your need. I'm reminded of the passage that I'm sure Isaac will preach in a few weeks in Matthew. That not only does he care for the birds, of the air and the lilies of the field, but how much more would he care for you? He's a good father. And that's something that we can be assured of today. Well, you might also think to yourself this. Well, I can't come to Jesus the way I am. I'm just, I'm too unlovable. I mess up so much, Pastor Trent. I'm such a, I do so many bad things. God couldn't love me who I am. But well, I also love what, again, I quote Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lily. He says this, you don't need to unburden yourself or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness as labor or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control that's heavy laden, Jesus Christ's desire is that you would come to him and you would find rest. That you would come in out of the storm. These things Christ wants more than anything. 
So whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or you don't even know his name, understand that your God loves for you. He cares for your every need. He's called you to himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. He intercedes for you in the heavenly court. And most importantly, he crowns you with confidence because nothing in earth or under the earth or over the earth can separate you from the love that Christ has for you and Christ for me. Amen. If you need prayer today, I ask you to come down. We have people up here that will be praying. I invite the praise team to come up. And I pray that you reflect on these amazing truths that God loves you and I do too. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.